We've been in this bit of a funny season of the last few weeks, that prior to the last few weeks, we did a sermon series, Easter Tide, coming out of Easter, what it looked like to live renewed lives. And that kind of culminated in the event of Pentecost, where we celebrated Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then we kind of had three weeks in our preaching calendar, which we just kind of called like one-off weeks, which actually, as I was reflecting last night, I thought, I realized God was up to something in the sermon planning, the preaching calendar that we were a bit unaware of, that if you look in the book of Acts where the coming of the Holy Spirit comes, it's the birth of the church. It's this moment where the church community starts. And post us celebrating Pentecost in here, we've had three wonderful weeks of celebrating what it means to be the body of Christ, the church community, and particularly being anchored in the book of John. So we had, as Hannah mentioned, we had a week where all in all ages worship gathering where we got to do the full experience on a Sunday with our kids and how beautiful, how wonderful that was to worship with them, to hear the same message as them, to receive communion with them and from them. This beautiful expression of us as a full community. And then last week we had five baptisms, five of our people saying, I'm, thanks Hannah, it was exciting wasn't it? It was an awesome celebration, like, it was a special week of like man, as individual decisions to follow Christ. But it just felt like this beautiful community expression. And in this week, we got to celebrate the dedications this morning of the fixed children, Alessa and Arulai. That there's something that God seemed to be weaving in this place that's important to him of us as his body, as his community. And I want to explore that further this morning by opening up again John's Gospel. So if you've got a Bible with you, I'll invite you to open up to John chapter 17, verses 20 to 26. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them glory that you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given to me to be with me where I am. And to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So our passage this morning is Jesus's, is a prayer from Jesus. And it opens with these words, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. This passage comes right before Jesus enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, the moment of his betrayal. And he opens this extended prayer time by saying famous words, The hour has come. And he first prays over his disciples, 
And then second, we get our passage where he prays over those who will believe because of the disciples' message. This prayer is for subsequent generations. And the incredible thing in this is we are those subsequent generations. This is a prayer that Jesus prayed over us. This is his words to us as believers who would become believers because of the word of the disciples. That, and John chooses to include it. That for each of us, we can identify moments that we responded to the goodness and the grace of God, that we encountered God, God spoke to us, and we responded. But the beautiful thing in this process is God invites other people to be part of that process. Like if I look back on my faith journey from its early beginnings, I can name people who were key influences in me making those decisions, to me hearing God's voice clearly, to taking those responses. And I imagine for you, you can, if you're a follower of Christ, you can name those people too. There's people in your life who have been those formational people who shared the good news of the gospel of Jesus with you. That there's a sense that we're part of this genealogy, this papa that tracks back to the original disciples of Jesus, that as the message was shared from one generation to the next, people discovered faith. And this is Jesus' prayer to all those subsequent generations. I think there's just something beautiful in that. And sitting with these opening words of, this is Jesus' prayer to us. That we don't have a God who stands at a distance, requiring us to figure out how to get to him, but who comes and says, no, I pray for you. I prayed for you. Here are the words that I pray. Here's the ways I pray. Here's the things I care about for you and your faith community. We get the words that this should be, these words should be a model for our prayer life. If this is a prayer of Jesus, how Jesus prays, it should shape how we pray. If prayer is this communication and union with God, here's this moment where God teaches us how we can pray, how we can be in communication. As he prays to the Father, he says, learn how I do it and follow these things are important to me in my prayers, maybe they should be important to you in your prayers. That we're invited to see how the Trinity communicates and participate in that. And what are the, what's the prayer that he prays, Jesus? Our passage continues, that all of them, all of us may be one. Father, just as you're in me and in I am in you. That this is Jesus's prayer for the subsequent generations that they would be one there would be this unity this union this closeness between the believers of subsequent generations and if you look at the birth of the early church like it makes sense why this is a prayer if you look in Pente the story of pentecost in acts chapter 2 verse 5 it said when the holy spirit came and the church was birthed there were god-fearing jews from all over the world from every nation speaking every tongue that's who formed the very start of the church. Wild amount of languages, cultures, way of doing life, way of doing relationships. The only thing that they had in common was they, they realized they were part of God's story of redemption and realized through Pentecost maybe Jesus was the key element of this. 
And then not only on top of that diversity, but those were Jews, different languages from different places, Jews who had been raised that Gentiles were to stay outside of your community and the way they got in was to become like you. And the gospel quickly became this realization that, oh, this is for them too, and they don't need to change. They don't need to become Jews to enter into the people of God. That the early church was this incredibly diverse group of people. Cultures, languages, just the full diversity of humanity. And we get the prayer of Jesus, which I think makes sense, that they may be one. That's something that they need to be held together because if I think of a community like that, there's a lot of potential to not be held together as one. Expectations different, ways of doing relationships are different, languages are different, and yet Jesus says, I pray that they would be one. And I think as we look at these prayers of Jesus, even as I was reading commentaries this week, it can be easy to turn it to abstract and ideas and doctrine-based to think, take this prayer and think, oh, just if all denominations got along, it would be really nice. Why do we have to have so much differences? Why were there so much church splits, theological differences? But I think there's something far deeper going on here because what Jesus is referencing and what's he's comparing what he wants for us is his relationship with the Father. He wants us to have a closeness, a oneness like he has with his Father. That speaks to a profoundly deep level of closeness and intimacy and if I think around this kind of unity right there are two things that would cause it not to happen in my mind and the first one that comes to mind is easy conflict we don't get along we don't like each other you've hurt me I've hurt you we haven't kind of figured out like what the balances of who's hurt each other the most maybe we've just got disagreements and we're not really willing to process that or not really willing to work through that the less obvious cause of disunity is actually we don't realize our need to pursue it, to pursue close relationships, that we're happy being isolated and working by ourselves, figuring this out by ourselves. That then there's a sense of we're not unified because we've got disagreements, but maybe for some of us we don't get in disagreements and fights because we actually don't leave people that close anyway. And yet Jesus says, no, this is a priority, this should be a focus. And if we look around us in our world and our culture, like there are stories of culturally how we're fragmenting terms used like tribalism, like people into different spheres, different groups based on interests and hobbies and you don't associate with others. But if we look beyond those things, there's also a sense which actually just close friendships are lacking and missing. I was reading this week around just the stats on friendships in the West, and it's pretty disheartening. Men are worse, but women are not far behind in their close, intimate friendships where they'd say, man, we have a sense of unity and closeness. And the way they define it is a healthy, healthy person should have at least six close friendships. At least six people that they feel like they're close with, they can be, there's a sense of intimacy, vulnerability, openness, they can speak the truth to each other, that they've got each other's back. Six people. And with men, they reckon 15% of men have six close friends. 
only 15%. It's a little bit higher for women, but not significantly. But then on the other end of the spectrum, they reckon 15% of men have no close friendships, no people in their lives They would say, you are a close friend of mine. Women, 10% of women say, I don't have a close friend in my life. It can be easy to talk about the big ideas of culture and stuff, but there's also just a lack within us of those close, intimate, united friendships. When Jesus says, I want you as a community to be one, to be close, to be intimate, and our experiences, man, I can't, for like 15% of males, for 10% of females, I can't even name one close friend. Like there's something that's missing, that's lacking. And I think part of that is that this deep friendship, deep connection requires that we move beyond the surface level. That it's relationship, that it's about something more deeper than hobbies or interests, but is to this deep stuff of life. John Wesley, when he led revival a couple of hundred years ago, saw masses of people come to faith, and one of the ways he organized them was into these groups where you would share. He talked about you'd share the state of your soul with others. The good stuff, the hard stuff, where you'd failed, where you succeeded, you'd share that with a group of other people weekly. And someone I was reading this week said, those pretty quickly declined, and he reckoned you could track the decline of groups of Christians willing to share intimately about their state of their soul. You could track the decline with Methodism becoming increasingly middle class. Like there's kind of this, he reckoned there's a link of like, you get a group of middle class people in a room together. They'll talk about their hobbies, their interests, the stuff going on. But, or to share about the deep vulnerabilities of life, like, or... I've got some status and something to protect now. I'm not willing to go there. Yet there's something if we actually need it, these deep relationships where we can go to those places with people where we can care for each other, where we can have this oneness, where we can see each other as we truly are without the facade, with the sin and brokenness, but also the glimpses of God's goodness and healing coming forth. And I think there's a bunch of us who have been working through some stuff this year on emotional maturity, that this requires us to have a level of maturity to go to those places relationally. And I've got this list from Pete Scazzaro of what emotional immaturity looks like that I'm going to read out and just see does something stand out for you of like, actually, this might be a reason why I don't have close, intimate friendships or as many as I want or as I need? So as I read this list, the invitation is to read the list for yourself, not for your spouse or your sibling or that person you don't get along with. This is read on behalf of you. Let them do their own work. You'll hear that in here. This is for you. So read through them. Emotional, relational immaturity looks like you look for others to take care of you. You have great difficulty entering into the world of others. You are driven by need for instant gratification. You use others as objects to meet your needs. 
you are content and happy as long as you receive what you want. You unravel quickly from stress, disappointments, trials. You interpret disagreements as personal offense. You are easily hurt. You complain, withdraw, manipulate, take revenge, become sarcastic when you don't get your way. You have great difficulty calmly discussing your needs and wants in a mature, loving way. You tend to often be defensive. You are threatened and alarmed by criticism. You keep score of what people give you, of what you give people, so you can ask for stuff later in return. You deal with conflict poorly often blaming, appeasing, going to a third party, pouting or ignoring the issue completely. You become preoccupied with yourself. You have great difficulty truly listening to another person's pain, disappointment or need. You are critical or judgmental. If you experience something of that, that is what Jesus in his prayer is wanting us to work through to process, to come into maturity from. See, man, I don't want you to live in those ways anymore. That the body of Christ works differently. That he's calling us to unity and wholeness and health together. And Pete Scazzera has a list of healthy things. So feel free to identify these in yourself or also in others if you want to identify in your spouse, your friend, your flatmate, your child or parent, any of these positive things that maybe you could learn from. If you're an emotionally, relationally mature adult, you are able to ask for what you need, want or prefer clearly, directly and honestly. You recognize, manage and take responsibility for your own thoughts and feelings. You can, when under stress, state your own beliefs and values without becoming adversarial. You respect others without having to change them. You give people room to make mistakes and not be perfect. You appreciate people for who they are, the good, bad and ugly, not for what they give back. You accurately assess your own limits, strengths and weaknesses and are able to freely discuss them with others. You are deeply in tune with your own emotional world and able to enter into the feelings, needs and concerns of others without losing yourself. You have the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others. Doesn't sound wonderful if we were all worked like that. A community who is able to do those things, that were able to look at another person and see them for who God has created them to be, who they are, the positives, the negatives, and to love them in the midst of that. That is a place of union. And reading this week, someone I was reading said this, love springs from awareness. That it is only in so much as you see someone as he or she really is here and now, and not as they are in your memory or your desire or in your imagination or projection that you can truly love them. Otherwise, it is not the person that you love, but the idea that you have formed of this person. Or this person is the object of your desire, not as he or she is in themselves. Therefore, the first act of love is to see this person or this object, this reality, as it truly is. And this involves the enormous discipline of dropping your desires, your prejudices, your memories, your projections, your selective way of looking, 
a discipline so great that most people would rather plunge headlong into good actions and service than submit to the burning fire of this asceticism. So the first ingredient of love is to really see the other. The second ingredient is equally important, to see yourself, to ruthlessly flash the light of awareness on your motives, your emotions, your needs, your dishonesty, your self-seeking, your tendency to control and manipulate. Here the invitation that Jesus offers, that he prays over us, is one of unity of closeness. And this is not where it's like, oh cool, I've just got to go out and then do heaps of good stuff for people and just like throw it at the wall and see if people notice and care. This is the first step is actually to stop and be aware of the person as an other. With their own needs, wants, desires, their own glimpses, of the image of God in them and their own brokenness in the midst of that. And our passage continues this morning, and may they also be in us, that this union, this closeness that we get is not just like me and you getting close, but Jesus says this is a union that is founded on Christ, that Jesus says I am in the midst of it. May those Followers of Christ also be in me, be in us. That God doesn't stand at a distance saying, you guys are doing relationships well or poorly. He says, no, let me enter in and participate. Let me be part of the work of your relationships. And the kind of closeness that Jesus and the Father had, that's the kind of role that we get to play. That's the kind of relationships that he wants. Not just like we get on well, but there's something of God present and working and moving amongst his people. In the early church, we see this as they kind of launch. There's this holding each other in Christ and Christ present and moving and speaking amongst them. The early church, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Everyone had everything in common that they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There's this gathering together and seeing God working in the midst of these relationships in profound ways. James articulates what it means, the beauty I think we can find in these relationships. In James 5.16 where he says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. This is more just like close relationships, sharing the hard stuff. But as followers of Christ, God is present in those and he offers healing. That as we share that stuff, we may offer healing to each other. That there's something of the interpersonal relationships that God says, I want you close and I want to be in the midst working in the same way that I'm working with the Father and I work. That God wants to be in and through. That he can do more in those places than I think we can imagine. And why? Jesus says, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. That the purpose of this union, this closeness, these deep relationships with each other is for the sake of the world. That there's a sense of this unity will be a witness that the people of God will witness to the world a different way of relating and interacting. 
that if we are a community of deep connection with each other and God, we will witness to our world. And we see this in the book of Acts, that the early churches, they lived this out. The constant thing that came back at the end of their expression of community was, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That these kind of relationships witness to something different. And Jesus wants to work and move and act through them. And Jesus' prayer is like, please prioritize this. Please make this, like, I want this for you. I want you guys to be one. That's my prayer. It's about to go to the cross. He says, man, I want for you disciples, but everyone to come. Will you just be one? Will that be a priority? Will that be a focus? I want to come and help. I want to help a guide in that. I want to be present and moving. This should be important. He says further on, he says, Father, I want those who have given to me, given to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. It talks about going this glory like unity to its full completion. God wants to come in and create unity within us to do this deep work within us. Because this isn't easy, right? Like there's a reason where we don't tend this way. Like I know for me, as I read those stats of like a healthy person has six close relationships, my gut thought was, man, six a lot of, a, that's a lot of people. That's going to take a lot of time and energy. Like, do I have time for six people to go that deep with? And Jesus' prayer is like, no. Like this like, this is what I want for you. Invest in this. He doesn't say, like, his prayer isn't, like, do well in your career and the property market and your calling in life. He says, no, prioritize your relationships in the body of Christ. Put energy there. Focus there. I want you to be one because you'll experience a closeness. I want you to experience the closeness that I have with the Father. I want you to experience that. I want you to be part of that, to be pulled into that. Make this a priority. And I want to guide you and lead you and help you on that journey. My glory is there to see it to its full completion. Will you let me take you on that journey? And our passage this morning closes. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. Jesus wants to make God continually known to us. He wants to continually reveal himself to us. That the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus wants this, like, this is his prayer for us. This is what he wants for us. This is what he's putting energy into. That we would have a closeness and intimacy of relationship with him and with each other. And this morning we're going to close, well after I close and pray, we're going to finish as we do each week by turning to the table of communion. 
which I think is significant as we think about relationships, both the lack or the apathy to invest and put energy in, but also in those relationships where there's hurt and brokenness. Because this is where Jesus says, this stuff is hard. You need more than your own energy and willpower and goodwill and give this a go for a couple of weeks or make it your priority for the year. You need the grace of God. That sin breaks the stuff profoundly and it costs Jesus his life to restore that, to make that union, that relationship with him, each other, possible. Like, the cost was his life and he was willing to make it. He said, I just pray that you would be one. Not immature followers of me, but grow you by my spirit, grow into mature followers of Christ. Experience the goodness of union with each other in Christ. So I'll invite the band up as I close in prayer. Heavenly Father, good and gracious God, Lord, I thank you that your word is not some ancient text with just good ideas, but it is the living, breathing word of God. Lord, I thank you that this morning we even read a passage that is addressed to us as your people, as subsequent generations. Lord, we thank you that you do not make your desires for us hidden, but you make them known. Thank you that your desire for us is union, closeness, intimacy, oneness with each other and with you. Lord, for each of us this morning, where there are areas your Spirit's drawing forth, wanting to bring healing and wholeness and restoration, may we be obedient to that voice, trusting your Spirit's work. As we head to the table of communion this morning, we thank you for the cost you paid to make those intimate, close relationships with you and each other possible. May we receive them in your name and by your spirit. Amen.